0: Hey, welcome back to the show. This is Alex Mila. I'm here with Chris Yates and you're listening to episode 3 of Don't Fret, a guitar builder's podcast. <music> excited today. Um, you know, we have Adam Bathon from um, Elysian Pickups. Now, is it is it just Elysian Pickups, or do we call it... Uh,
1: I mean, the business right now is just Elysian Pickups. Um, that's what I'm actually registered as, but uh, I am doing the guitar thing again, so I probably need to get on that as well.
0: That's exciting.
1: I love so building I, guitars.
0: I, like... Pretty much everyone in our in our in our circle uh, has seen you, I guess, kind of grow this this business that you've you've had. Like first with guitars, and then with pickups, and it's just kind of taken off. Um, I think most of the people I know that I've talked to have owned a set of uh, pickups that you've made and are are generally super happy with them. And so I've got a bunch of like nerdy ass questions to ask you about you know how, how all this started. But I uh, wanted to let, let Chris go in and, and see you uh, and maybe start this off, too. I'm
1: no, sorry. Alex, you've been you you've kind of been there since the beginning. I mean, you started with the first sets I ever made.
0: Oh, yeah. You know? no, I still have them in that Les Paul, and they still sound great.
1: <laughs> They're cool. I, I mean, it's I did things really differently back then, but it was really cool that uh, I was able to send stuff to you to, to do demos and stuff for me. I really appreciated that. Of course.
2: Yeah, Adam, I think you uh, came onto my radar with the the set that you made for Alex a couple of years ago that was like, uh, uh, they, they had the fiberboard uh, bobbins, and I think there was two sets. Mm-hmm. There was like the, the HSP-90 set um, and a humbucker set, and I just thought they looked rad. I think shortly after that, I was like in need of a new uh, pickup supplier, and I was kind of trying to find... Uh, someone that would be a good fit for mobius and hit you up and you're able to put together some sets that i was super happy with but yeah like admittedly until i saw that uh the sets that alex posted i uh i wasn't even aware that you built guitars as well so i i was just curious like did which i guess which camp did you start in like with building oh, guitars cool. and woodworking or like electronics and pickups or a combination of the two or just kind of how it all came about?
1: Uh, I started building guitars back in 2006 when I, I went to Roberto Venn way back in the day and uh, learned how to build guitars there. Normally you build – the course requires you to build two guitars and you can build a third. You have an option to build a third. Well, I was so gung ho. I built four. Nice in that tr- in that short course. Uh, two of them being seven string neck through guitars. <laughs> and back back in two thousand six, they were really cautious about allowing that kind of thing. Really. Like now they're doing they're doing a lot of cool stuff like multi scale and stuff like that. But back in two thousand six, there wasn't as much seven string hardware available, so I had to find my own hardware for a lot of that stuff to, to be able to do those two builds. And, you know, it it was, it was pretty fun back then, but, uh, I've been, I've been building ever since in 2006. And, uh, I, kind of, I, I kind of shut down my building in 2015, but I still had some stuff that I built after that. Uh, I think I built, I built a couple of Espadas in, uh, 2018 and, then I've, I've had a whole bunch of a spot of parts kind of sitting around waiting to be finished since then. So that's what I've been doing lately.
0: That's incredible, man. Yeah, you're saying that that neck you just posted was like seven years ago, I think you said?
1: Yep. The last two guitars that I built were from uh, the, the neck started seven years ago.
0: That's incredible. Wow. <laughs> I I, fin- I finally
1: finished them. <laughs> Dreams can come true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, so how, how did you make the move from, you know, building primarily guitars to pickups? I mean, I, f- I feel like there is a natural transition in there, too, but it's also kind of its own entity of, of uh, chaos, I guess, of just the whole world of pickups yeah. and people react to them.
1: So, so I started that in, uh, I want to say 2012, was About when that. I started really messing with winding pickups and stuff. Uh, some of the first pickups I ever did were, uh, I would rewind DiMarzio X2Ns, oh, which, sure. I mean, that was one of my favorite pickups of all time forever. I still love that pickup, but I started out rewinding those and, and trying to get a different sound from them and stuff, and then uh, moved on to winding normal pickups, not not rail pickups, and just kind of went on from there until 2015 when I came up with my, my tuned aperture patent. Which I came up with that because I had a customer, my buddy Rob. He had a nine-string build that I made for him. And he did a – we were doing – I think it was 27-inch to 24-inch scale fan. (laughs) And we had Blackwater pickups made for that thing. Right. And his complaint always was that the, uh, the high strings didn't get picked up as well. He was doing a 7-gauge high string with a, a high A. Wow. So the, the problem was that he wasn't getting as much output from that string. And that's actually how I came up with the tuned aperture. I, I just kind of started thinking about it and made one side of the bobbin larger than the other side of the bobbin. And it worked. It, it actually fixed his problem.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. Like, I... When I went back home, I actually plugged in my Les Paul, the Warwick Les Paul I had with the first uh, tuned aperture uh, bobbins in there, and I remember like the original concept was that you now had the option or act- ability to kind of play around with how that tuned aperture setting worked. You can kind of flip it, and then it all it gives you a different kind of voice, I guess is the best way to say for the pickup. I know that first iteration was there. Uh, For the people who don't know what tune aperture is, um, do you think you can give a little bit of an explanation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So really, a normal guitar bobbin is kind of an oblong shape. It's flat with rounded ends, and they are typically the same thickness all the way across the bobbin. So it's about a quarter inch on most bobbins, uh, all the way across. What my tuned aperture patent is is one end of the bobbin is wider than the other end, and that that width has changed a little bit through the years as I've kind of uh, figured things out as I've as I've figured out how to build these pickups better. But uh, it's close, like it's it's more like. One end is a quarter inch, and the other end is close to three-eighths of an inch. Sure. So what that does, uh, it does a few things. It makes the actual coil of wire wider uh, across the pickup at, at one end than the other, so that one end picks up a narrower amount of the magnetic field disturbance, and the other end pick up picks up more of that a wider array uh, range of that and that just really it, it just allows me to to shape the tone in pretty predict predictable ways that's that's more or less it <laughs> I, I just use it as another tool in my arsenal to to make pickups sound how I want them to sound
0: well, I mean I, I when, when you first brought up the the concept like you know way back and you know you had your initial idea, it, it's funny Because, I mean, if you think of guitars and pickups, it's it's one of those areas where everyone wants the newest and greatest things, but everyone wants something to harken back to a vintage era or something. Everyone really romanticizes the vintage this, vintage that, which is great. It has its spot, but with any real kind of innovation that happens in the guitar world, the knee-jerk response of most of the community is to sh- essentially just start shitting on it. And so did you – when you first like brought, this, brought this idea to, I guess, the market, did you – how was the response?
1: It was not bad. Um, I did get some articles. I think I got one in Guitar Player magazine – not magazine, but on their website, uh, Guitar Player website. Uh, I got an article on Gear Gods as well. They were nice. pretty interested in the idea. That was, I mean, that was back in 2015. I did the Kickstarter, I think, January of 2015. So I think I started all this, pro the the tuned aperture stuff, I think I started thinking about it in 2014. And I actually got the patent started in 2015. But, yeah, the response was pretty good. I did have a lot of people who were like, oh, I've seen this before. And the, the closest thing that I saw was TV Jones had kind of a wedge-shaped pickup yeah. where... Part of the pickup was telly sized and part of it was P90-sized. It was this really weird-looking pickup. Mm. And I think they might have a trademark on that shape, but uh, I haven't been able to find that yet. But the uh, the TV Jones pickup kind of it, it does things pretty differently. The whole pickup is larger, where I'm doing this in the span of a normal-sized normal pickup. Right, and I right. think that's probably where I think that's probably where TV Jones had had issues with that pickup. Is it? It was not standard. It, it couldn't really be used in a standard guitar, so you know they they never really caught on.
2: Yeah, like the the whole idea isn't really scalable if it's you know if it doesn't really fit into an industry standard.
1: Right. And I, I came up with my patent separate from the TV Jones thing. I had never seen that before I had started my process. But, you know, people obviously made me aware of it pretty quickly.
2: Um, speaking like slight departure from uh, the pickup specifically, I think that, um, you know, IP intellectual property is probably something we're going to end up uh, chatting about on this podcast a good bit. Can you give us like a very. Um, like abbreviated version of what uh, getting that patent was like?
1: Well, uh, I think I got really lucky. I found a patent attorney that was well-versed in electronics in general. And he was able to take my vague ideas of my patent, the kind of overarching idea, and turn it into this really – Well thought-out document that protects my my invention uh, in ways I probably wouldn't have even thought of, and like just having a really good patent attorney was the best part of it. It it did cost me a little bit to do that, but um, I started out. We got the provisional patent, which provisional doesn't. It's just kind of the first step. It just says, "Hey, I've got this idea, and I want to. I'm I'm going to pursue patenting it." And that makes it so others can't come and patent it before you, I believe. Yeah. It's kind of like a place. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's accurate. I, I'm not super well-versed in patent stuff. I've done the one patent and that's it. But, um, overall it was pretty easy process, uh, because my, my patent lawyer, my patent attorney did such a great job at, not only describing the patent, but doing all the research to, to find all the, the other patents that it might rely on, which mm-hmm. that's that's pretty common as well in patenting. You're, you're gonna rely on other people's inventions as well. Uh, you know the humbucker pickup is is a common one. so it, you know all that stuff is cited by the patent attorney and I don't know he he did all this this work without me having to do much of anything. It was kind of amazing. nice. Very so cool. it was more, more or less. I just spent a bunch of money.
0: <laughs> I mean, it seems like a drop in the bucket if it's like that well done. Almost, uh, it's probably hard. to I hard probably to that. would have
1: been. I, I probably would have been fine not getting a patent, to be honest with you. But you know, I thought I really believed in what I came up with and wanted yeah. to protect it just in case.
0: I mean, I, it kind of reminds me of um, you, you know before when 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 Ola Strandberg, um, initially his designs were uh, common, uh, creative commons, like share and share alike. Mm-hmm. And then yep. he went and, and patented uh, his neck profile. I think it was the one he was talking about. And in yeah. an online interview, he was saying, he's like, I, I did this not so much to protect like my own portion of it, which I'm sure with any idea that it's there too but it was mainly as uh, a sign that this is an innovation in this field. Right. Um,
1: like, yeah. as like, Absolutely.
0: This is, this is my contribution to this arena.
2: And honestly, it seems, I was actually just thinking about this uh, a while ago, and I, I did an interview uh, with Ola um, a f- several years ago when I... Uh, I was doing that kind of thing for Creative Live, um, and we, we touched on the um a little bit. And I mean, I think one thing that that is really interesting is, like, as far as I can tell, or as far as I've seen, um, you know, he he has the patent on it and everything. But I haven't really seen any attempts like to knock it off or make copies of it. Um, maybe you guys have, but even as far as like, you know, the typical uh, like Asian based manufacturers that uh, will come out with knockoffs. Like I know that bossy stuff got knocked off hard, like right away, and I can't recall that ever happening for Strandberg. Like it, it, at least with the Endurneck.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah, I don't um, think I've seen that.
2: But yeah, it does seem like the patent. You know, it at least acts as a deterrent um, for that, uh, like intellectual property theft. Uh,
1: so, I do know builders who use that neck profile, but they they actually do license it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Does Ola still do that? I uh, I was under the understanding that he did that for a while, and then it kind of became too much of a hassle. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, I'm not sure if, if he that, still does cool. it,
1: honestly. I, this is my recollection from, like, I think it was either 2020 or 2021 that I saw uh, one of my friends who's a builder out of Argentina. Uh, he's doing an Endure Neck on one of his builds, I think. Oh, nice. But maybe maybe Ola's not doing it anymore. I'm not, I haven't really kept up with that world, to be honest with you. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I... I
1: like the Endure Neck on, uh, on eight strings, Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not I'm not such a fan of it on six strings and seven strings are okay but eight strings is where its really shines for me because i i I mean I have fairly large hands but I'm not a great eight string player like sure. their necks just feel too wide to me even eight strings that I've built myself feel too wide to me but the endurneck really helps that a lot
2: yeah yeah i'm I'm kind of in the same boat where the Actually the very first Endurneck that I ever played was an eight string. Um, and it totally blew me away. That was at NAM. I think the very first Nam that I ever went to, um, when Strandberg still had like a tiny little baby booth right next to the drums, I ended up getting like an OS six. Um, and I was not <laughs> wasn't wasn't feeling it as much as I was the eight string for sure.
1: Yeah. I uh, I think the first time I tried an Endure neck also was on an eight string. I believe it was Dave Dunsire's eight string. He's he was one of my artists for a little while. He's with DeMarzio oh, yeah. now, but he still he still has an uh, eight string with my pickups in it, and he posts about it pretty regularly. So I really appreciate that from him.
0: Yeah, I, I I follow him too. He's a he's a great player.
1: He's awesome. He's a cool dude. I I really like him. Well, one of
0: the, one of the things that that Chris and I have talked about um a lot of the times like you know like the way you feel about a guitar or something before you get into the actual knowledge about what makes a good guitar how to build them all that stuff how it kind of almost takes the magic away of of a certain element of of the guitar itself do you feel like now that now that you've kind of delved heavily into pickups does it take away anything from your your initial I guess, the initial magic of, of what pickups are.
1: I don't think so. Uh, I do have the problem where I don't have any guitars that don't have my pickups. Sure. Um, I've, I've literally put them in everything I own. So I'm kind of in like, I, I don't know if you'd call it an echo chamber, but I feel like I'm kind of in this this uh, feedback loop of my own stuff. Sure. I'm not i don't know i'm not like huffing my own farts over here or something but i just really tend to like my my pickups you know i i still love the demarzio x2n it's still one of my all-time favorite pickups i mean classic death albums were all done on that pickup and you, can, you just can't get away from from how brutal and awesome that pickup sounds
2: i i was gonna say like how you find yourself in a situation where all your guitars have your pickups like that's why I won't get rid of my uh, Aristides 060 or my Ibanez RG five seventy. Is because aside from that, I've built all the other guitars that I have. <laughs> like I need, yeah,
1: that, a, I need a point of reference that's outside of my own world. <laughs> I've got four guitars and a bass that I haven't built, and then everything else I think is mine. Oh, sorry, five guitars and a bass. Uh, yeah. I'm just leaving out my my Sully. Oh, oh nice. nice.
0: Oh, I wanted one of those.
2: Sully so is, honestly, like, props to him because he's a big part of the reason why, at least as far as I'm concerned, why this podcast is happening is because I listened to every episode of The Luthierist back oh, in the man. day uh, when yep. he was doing that with Perry Ormsby.
1: I mentioned to him earlier that I was doing a podcast. First of all, he said, hi, Alex. Ah-ha! And second of all, he... <laughs> He said he said he wished he had a podcast sometimes, but then he realizes he's got too much stuff to manage to, to do that. So totally, who hey, he knows? Yeah, yeah. Maybe he, maybe he could be a future friend of the pod or something.
0: Oh, for sure, that'd be rad. Funny story. Um, so I I found out about that podcast because uh, Aaron from Blackwater, I guess, was interviewed on it one time, and uh, either he or w- someone else was like, "Hey, you got to mention on the Luthierist podcast." I'm like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like when they're talking about like, uh, Odie's oil or something, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Alex uses that finish." I'm like, "Oh, I got a match." <laughs> yeah, and then randomly, I like, I, I ended up staying in like the same apartment complex as Sully's uh, son, and so I—oh wow, yeah, small, small world. It was in Chicago too. Wasn't yeah. even in like, <laughs> any place I was I was living. It just while I was in my first year of residency. And uh, so I sent a picture of both of us to him, and he's like, there's a story here. What is going on? Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's just just really funny how how worlds collide.
1: I've known his son since – well, I've known him and his son, but I'm saying I've known him uh, since his son was probably 12, maybe younger. Yeah, his son was pretty young when I met Sully. Um, I actually worked a job – We worked at a company in uh, the Dallas area together, and we didn't we didn't know about each other until my boss was like, "Hey, did you know this other guy was a guitar builder?" (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we've been friends ever since. This was like uh, I think this was like twenty ten, maybe two thousand nine, somewhere around there. That's awesome. So I, I,
0: yeah. I, I have a couple questions I wanted to ask you just as, like, from, a I guess, mainly a pickup builder, but also um, as someone who does build guitars as well. Because I know Chris and I will, will always be talking about this one, and it's the, you know, the great Tonewood debate, is um, as as someone who makes guitars and has made a bunch of guitars, and now who's as someone who makes pickups, what are your thoughts on the whole tone wood thing and how much like how much do pickups p- play a part in in that m- magical tone that everyone's chasing
1: I think I think everyone knows that pickups are the the largest portion of the the sound but uh, tone wood in my opinion is real uh okay. I've done a lot of testing I've done a lot of A-being to to find out the difference um I think yeah. you guys know, I told you, I've been doing my my demo guitar. I modified so that I could easily change the pickups out of it by making some caddies that bolt into the back of the guitar. And they cool. basically replace the whole pickup route, plus a little bit of extra wood. And they bolt in by two uh, hex bolts. And I've tested a lot of different materials and found a pretty stark difference in the different materials. Uh, I can tell you the, the worst thing I tried was uh, 3D-printed plastic. And that <laughs> sounded atrocious. It was very <laughs> shrill. There was so much top end to it that it was just very harsh. And it just had all the upper mids mm. that you really don't want to have. And the my favorite thing that i've tried so far has been whatever honduran mahogany i had in my in my bin <laughs> interesting uh, but i will say you know there's not going to be always consistent results because of course it matters where you're taking the wood from the tree which most of us will never know uh you know it matters you know it basically like grain orientation probably matters as well you're never gonna get this same tone exactly from two pieces of wood, even from the same tree. I think Alex, you mentioned that in one of the previous episodes, and I I agree with that. But I, I think a lot of these tone wood ideas, I think they they do kind of fit this typical almost like a stereotype, I guess, where you know Alder is gonna have more mids, Honduran mahogany is gonna have a little more low end kaya mahogany surprisingly had it had similar low end to the honduran mahogany but it had a little more treble uh, i've done a lot of work with kaya and i feel like that's pretty consistent across the board mm-hmm. but you know it, it really i get i guess what i'm saying is when i plan builds uh, i i've had builds where my customers say oh i don't i don't really believe in tone wood." And I've told them, you know, plan your build as if you did.
0: That's a good advice <laughs> because you're <laughs>
1: gonna you're gonna be happier that way. And I mean, it's only been a few people that I've built guitars for that have said that, but uh, I, I'm doing pretty well with with that advice.
0: No, I think that's a that's a great way to to kind of just go about that. It's like just 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 humor humor it, humor the process. And trust, you know, your the experience that you bring to the table, whether you believe in it or not. Um,
1: and it's not like a lot of these tone woods are expensive or something like that. I mean, my my uh, black limba that I've been I've been using for my two recent builds, I paid eighty bucks for a body blank that was already glued up in the middle for one of them, and then for the other one, I paid eighteen dollars for the board and glued it myself. and they both sound incredible they both sound amazing it's just you know tonewood's not super expensive usually unless you're talking about ebony. ebony is always going to be expensive yeah but it's also it's harder to get that that really good ebony that's you know it's black all the way throughout for the gaboon ebony or exactly macassar Ebony that's that's just got really cool figure to it or anything like that you know that stuff's always going to be expensive but uh, Pale Moon Ebony even that that stuff is on another level that's just crazy
2: I feel like Pale Moon once it got more became more mainstream I guess you could say like when uh, Kiesel and other builders Scarvison, really started leaning into it for fretboards and stuff it's uh, it's cost just like skyrocketed because it used to be like you know oh it's not pure black nobody's gonna want this and so it was like uh, I-, I would assume like largely dis- discarded or discounted and now it's like oh it's it's like the the cool kid on the block and so <laughs> it's like super expensive
1: now. <laughs> yeah, my my friend Nate uh, Nate Reichart he did a guitar that had a pale moon ebony top pale moon ebony fretboard and a pale moon ebony f- head cap and i did pale moon ebony topped pickups for him <laughs> and that thing is it's an incredible build i love it it's so over the top and and crazy but it's so cool oh nice just a very cool guitar I mean, it
0: just sounds like a like a decadent piece of cake um. <laughs> exactly
1: exactly
0: <laughs> I remember my, my favorite build that I know like uh, when Aaron was still building guitars for his uh, for Blackwater um, was this. It was like an ebony topped uh, guitar, like a double cutaway super strat with a regular ebony cap, but the pickups and fretboard were pale moon, um, and the pickups were alternating ebony and pale moon ebony. And it was it just looked so cool and classy. I was like, at some point, I I'm bet. Gonna, I bet. Uh, but haven't gotten around to
1: that. Um, Adam, I really wish Aaron was still around. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to take this off on a tangent. I wish Aaron was still around. I, I actually went to his shop in Marble Falls years yeah. and years ago when I was a guitar builder, not a pickups builder. Yeah. And I got to play a bunch of his stuff. And, like, his guitars were really cool. They were – like, his shop was really cool. It, it was a lot of fun. He was a nice dude. You know, it's just kind of a shame that, that things went however they went for him it sucks because he's a talented builder for sure he was
0: him and i have been like have been in contact for for a while just sharing knowledge like here and there through when i started building a lot more back like 2012 through 2015 ish um and then i remember like after i went like from residency and stuff it's kind of when he just disappeared um came back for a little bit and we were able to chat a little bit more but then he uh you know he went to go do some other stuff and i haven't heard from him since so aaron if you're out there come back man
1: yeah no kidding we uh definitely missed that kind of thing he was the first person i ever saw do an inset top yeah i remember talking to him about that when he was doing that thing and it was so freaking cool he was doing a lot of cool stuff back then when, you know, he was doing a lot of stuff that I had never even heard of and just disappeared one day. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, uh, I actually worked with Todd Keen of TK Instruments a lot. He He was friends with Aaron, and he used to use his pickups and stuff, so I've kind of filled in that gap for him.
0: Oh, that's good, man. I heard he's a good guy. I haven't actually... I think I reached out to him once when Aaron dropped off the map just to see where he was, but I uh, haven't really talked to him afterwards. I,
1: I think I've known Todd since 2001 or 2002. I've known that guy for a long, long time. And uh, when you call him on the phone, your, your conversation is usually going to be three or four hours long.
2: <laughs>
1: wow. <laughs> he, he likes to talk. I he likes it. to talk, and uh, not complaining. He's a he's an amazing builder, and he's great to talk to. Really appreciate him.
0: Oh, it's awesome, man. He
1: gave he gave me the idea for the asymmetrical neck carve that I used to do all the time.
0: Oh yeah. I,
1: I would do an asymmetrical neck carve uh, that was something I got from him back in two thousand six. I think I did the first one. And then I took it one step further, and not only did I do an asymmetrical neck carve, but I put the truss rod off center as well. As far as I could tell when I did that, the truss rod would give you slightly more relief on the side of the neck that you put it on versus the other side, which worked really well if you put it on the base side where you want a little bit more relief than you do on the treble side. I do a three-piece neck and... I haven't ever had any problems with, with any kind of twisting or anything for the the asymmetrical neck carve. Most cool. of my stuff lately has been symmetrical, though. I, I It's probably been 10 years since I've done an asymmetrical carve. Uh, I do have one mm. in progress right now that's a headless that has an asymmetrical carve, but it's on the opposite side, so it's on the treble side instead of the bass side. Oh, cool. And that was the customer's request. He had, he's already got a that's actually the same customer with that nine string guitar that I, I f- figured out my patent on. Yeah. Um, he has an eight string build in progress with me that he, he decided he wanted to try the opposite direction on the asymmetrical carve. So my, my, my asymmetrical s- carves, they're not like the Warmoth Stevie Ray Vaughan carve. They're actually much more severe than that. So they're the, Thick side is usually about five eighths of an inch off the side of the fretboard, on the bass side, mm-hmm. and then it tapers down to almost like a razor on the treble side. It's pretty. It's pretty thin.
0: That is pretty drastic.
2: I'd be curious to try that.
1: Um, out of
2: curiosity, just uh, since we're on the topic of unconventional neck profiles, have either of you guys had the opportunity to try? The
0: oh god, what's the builder? Ethereal is is that the company that does like the concave? Uh, um, someone just posted in one of the groups about that on Facebook. I think it was on either Luthier Talk or Amateur Luthiers, um, and it was that, that post from like 2016. With I think it's the neck carve you're talking about, where it's kind of like a concave. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. cut on the back, <clears throat> and they use the uh, the term uh, it the the neck carve. ...can be used to tessellate the thumb. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I,
1: Who knows that, what that, that means. That whole phrase yeah. just lives
0: in my head and has been there since 2016. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I remember that phrase now that you mention it. Um, I, I don't want to speak ill of ethereal, uh, so uh, I won't.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I, I, you know, it's funny, like, they're, when they came out of the market... They were very unconventional, had a lot of broad claims about everything. But the one thing that I, like, throughout, like, you know, my opinions aside is they're still here. Um, right. When there's a ton of builders who have come and gone and had their heyday and completely, you know, um, I guess done the community an injustice. I mean, I, I still, pe- mm-hmm. still see people online locking ethereal guitars and there's something to be said about consistency, I guess.
1: They must be doing something right. Um, the one thing that I remember seeing from them was they tried to do a take on Oni Guitars' uh, elliptical frets. Uh, elliptical? Yeah. Is that the word I'm Oh, calling? yeah. Yep. No. Exponential frets? Oh, yeah, yeah E the
2: frets. frets. E frets, yeah. E frets. E, e scale. Yeah, they
1: tried to do a take on E scale. That's what it is. They tried to do a take on E scale, but they did it completely wrong (laughs) like they didn't understand what it was at all so that's that's the only thing i really think of when i think of ethereal is their take on e-scale
0: i I love love, uh dan memory's work man like he's like uh, when i first started building um i still have like you know i don't know why you guys have this but i have a folder on dropbox where it's just all my favorite guitars made by people like that just inspire me um and I, I have one of the first ones that I have and it's like a low quality bitmap all pixelated and, and stuff it's it's some of Dan memory's early Ani builds um, and after I finally got to meet Dan in person at uh, Nam I think it was the uh, the Nam show that we all were at um, and I've been talking to him online for years like just kind of finally meeting him and then seeing his work in person. I was like, this is, this is incredible. Yeah.
2: I, uh, I didn't get to meet him, but that was my, uh, that same name was my first time, like getting to see those instruments and, uh, handling them in person. They were, they were pretty impressive for sure. Oh
0: yeah. Like I,
1: yeah, I've, I've never met Dan. Um, I've known him online for years, decades even. Uh, we've talked a lot. He actually helped me a lot when I was learning to do CNC stuff on guitar. Sure. So uh, that's part of why I use RhinoCam. I believe he uses Rhino Cam, And, you know, he he would send me videos back in the day before YouTube was a common thing. And just kind of show me how he's carving his guitars with his CNC and stuff. And, you know, we used to have a lot of conversations about that. I haven't talked to Dan in a little while now, but – you know, he's someone I consider a friend.
0: Oh, yeah. No, he's a great guy. Really humble. Just just a, just a good guy. Um, yeah, really glad. Like, I mean, the good thing is, like, everyone has been or, ha- or is still on, like, 7 org too. So um, it's always, like, a nice little touch... Touchpoint touch point place to see how people are doing. I don't yeah, think I, to I, it's
2: so rad that that site is like still alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like any forum site that started like well over 10 years ago, that's still going is like, I, it, it just makes me so happy that they haven't like collapsed under the, uh, you know, like Facebook group uh, uh, situation.
1: No, Absolutely. Um, I still I still look at Seven String, but I can't really post there as much as I would like to because it's my uh, business account, right. and I don't pay for I don't pay for their vendor subscription anymore. So I, I do browse a lot, and sometimes I'll send private messages to people who who might need them.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, you know going back to I guess pickups and how you how, how you work with them. What do you, I'm I'm sure you get questions from people who are interested, who are like, I want something with a lot of output. And I know there's a lot of misconceptions between output and the kind of the number that's regarding the, the number of wines, I guess, or resistance you get with a, with a pickup. Um, How do you, how do you tell people like, this is kind of what you're actually asking me for? Like when they're saying like, they think the number that the pickup has directly correlates with the amount of output that it has or what that means. Yeah. And the DC um, resistance, yeah. yeah. that's the word I'm looking for. So about. instead
1: of – I guess instead of DC resistance, you should be looking more at inductance. Uh, you can lo- also look at capacitance to have a little bit of an idea. The more capacitance, I believe, the more uh, low end you've got. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I, I believe I'm correct. Um, and inductance changes – based not only on the winds, not only on the DC resistance, but also on the magnet type you use. Sure. So uh, I didn't start out measuring inductance on any of my pickups. I, I didn't start doing that until I think 2020.
0: Okay. What, what, and what, 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 I've what been
1: able to – uh, well, I got, a, I got a multimeter that can measure inductance, capacitance, Q value – uh, it does all sorts of cool stuff. Cool. And you know, it's just, I don't put that stuff out there publicly, but it's, it's more information for me to know. I, I probably will start putting it out there publicly soon, like on my website, but we, we're working on a new website, my wife and I, and hopefully we'll get that done sometime before the end of the year. I'm, I'm curious, but how are you,
2: how are you guys going about the new website?
1: She's a she's a computer science geek, so she's doing everything from the ground up now.
2: Oh nice. Uh, yeah, I just small tangent. I my site is uh, built on Squarespace and it's a complete nightmare to use, so I'm just looking for <laughs> looking for options.
1: <laughs> I'm using Words WordPress right now and okay. it's okay. It does okay for a store and stuff. Like there's good add ons for it, but my, my wife is uh, – pr- we're probably still going to do it through WordPress, but she's doing a lot of custom stuff with it instead of just the standard templates and stuff. Nice. It's
0: funny. Like when you started but saying uh, I'm on Squarespace, like I remember all the YouTube ads of people that are sponsored by them. and they're Yeah, just I was like, about to say not, not sponsored. Not sponsored easily.
1: <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I found – I'm doing all these demo recordings of my pickups lately, and – one of the higher output options actually isn't like my Hellfire or my Trident 2. Mm-hmm. It's my Javelin wind with a ceramic magnet. Okay. Huh. So my Javelin, my Javelin wind is more like a really hot PAF type wind. It's, it's really like not a super high output wind, but the ceramic magnet really kicks it up a notch and makes it a really hot pickup and kind of loving it. <laughs>
2: Is So I'm, I'm curious how – because you're one of the only pickup builders I'm aware of that really utilizes uh, Alnico 8 magnets. Um, how have you found uh, in experimenting like that how uh, Alnico 8 compares to ceramic?
1: Um, Alnico 8 is more – you're going to get more upper mids from it. Ceramic, you're going to get a little more treble, uh, a little bit – more brutal low end like real uh heavy kind of low end i don't i, I guess i'm using kind of marketing speak i'm not really using actual <laughs> terms that I mean, tell you how it sounds but like Alnico eight is definitely all about the mids
2: okay yeah i in uh in the experience that i've had playing your pickups i think i would agree like because i really that's why i would always gravitate um, towards like a tighter sounding Alnico five pickup as opposed to a ceramic is that the mids always sound a little more like complex to me. um, Whereas a ceramic can tend to sound a little more sterile. Um, So yeah, yeah, I I think the the Alnico eight is like kind of a sweet spot for me.
1: Yeah. Ceramic has a tendency to kind of max out a lot of frequencies, I guess. So it's like, it's kind of like a wall of sound almost. Yeah. Where Alnico 5 is going to have more, um, it's going to have more nuances, more low end as well, and less treble and and less mids.
0: I, I, I agree with like, from Chris's experience too. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, um, Alnico 8 mags also um, and I can't remember if the um, that that set of uh, Humbucker p90s that you made me Adam um, for that for the build on Michael Hinnon's guitar um, if the bridge had an a8 I don't know if I requested that or not but um,
1: uh, I doubt it most of my most of my humbucker or most of my uh, HSP 90s are alnico five,
0: 5 okay
1: which is kind of that classic it's kind of that classic hum, uh, HSP or that cl- kind of classic P ninety sound. Right. is Alnico five?
0: I think it was something in my head where I was like, sure, "I'm going to see if I can uh, ask him to like to order a one with an eight, just so I can t- see what it's like because I love this so much, and I just want to see what the other flavors would be like." Um,
1: maybe, maybe I did. I don't really remember. I
0: don't. I don't either. I'll I've know. had a
1: lot of beer since then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I remember I uh, I was telling Chris as soon as I got those I'm like dude you got to hear this this thing's killer um, and then it just has that because the one the one biggest issue I've always had with humbucker P90s they don't sound enough like a P90 they sound like there's there's something different but not quite have that rudeness mm-hmm. or snarl uh, or clank actually that a like a regular P90 would have. Um, and so when I plugged one in, I was like, Oh, there it is. That's
1: it. I do. I do a very special tuned aperture setup on the P90s. Uh, It actually kicks the wind out. It kicks the wind out quite a bit more. Uh, instead of like three eighths of an inch on the wide side, it's like half an inch. It's much wider just to get that. Like P90s have that like a normal real P90 has a really wide aperture, a really wide wind. So I wanted to try to emulate that a little bit with my tuned aperture to make it really wide, and I put that on the treble side because that's uh, like the low strings are already going to sound really, really heavy and hot because they're wound and and much larger. The the high strings are not going to get that sound, so that kind of uh, I use that to balance it out a little bit to get that uh, warmer kind of better high end sound.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm super happy with them. And I know right now, actually, in my my personal guitar, I have your uh, the Trident II Hellfire combo for the bridge.
1: Oh, yeah. That and one's fun.
0: That's <laughs> a good that's that's I know my I, I, I posted a clip and sent it to my buddy Srinivas, who also uh, got one from you. He's like, that pickup is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And he's, is, he's, is
1: his name like I think his name on Seven String is Legion or something like that?
0: That's him.
1: Okay, yeah, I remember. Um, he uh, he's got my Goliath wind in something too, which is yeah. my Trident Two wind, but also has instead of like it has a ceramic bar magnet, but it also has Alnico five pole pieces.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, he's a big fan of that one.
0: He he posted a clip on that. His sound that
1: actually. The, the Goliath name on that is actually for the, the guy uh, who came up with that idea, my friend Jackson Black. He runs Goliath Guitars
2: okay. uh, out
1: of Canada, and he uh, he one day asked me to build him a pickup with ceramic bar magnet and Alnico 5 poles. And the original recipe was my Trident 1 wind, yep. but he wanted more output, so we wound up changing it to the Trident 2. So when people ask me for a Goliath uh, set, that's what it is. It is Trident Two, ceramic bar magnet, and Aleko 5 pole pieces. And that's all thanks to my friend Jackson.
0: So w- one thing I, I wanted to ask you as a pickup maker, one thing I'm sure you're also experimented with is uh, the different types of screws and slugs. I've, I've played around with it myself, but I don't. I can tell that there's a bit difference in the way things sound, but from your experience and test and your R&D, using something like a screw, um, kind of like something like a Seymour Duncan versus like a hex from a De- Demarzio, like those bolts, have you found a significant difference between the two, like regarding like the way they affect the magnetic fields of the strings?
1: I wouldn't call it significant, but yeah. Chris actually can testify – we uh i sent him a pickup i believe it had slugs in all those uh, pole pieces yeah yeah he thought it uh, it sounded a little too a little too muddy
2: well it it was interesting yeah it was all because i the um my choice in ordering was like purely aesthetic because adam had gotten in Mm -hmm. a bunch of uh black chrome nickel slugs I was like, dude, like that'll match the hardware of this personal build that I'm putting together perfectly. Just like put that in, like all all the holes, uh, <laughs> and uh, I got it said? hooked up, <laughs> <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I
1: couldn't help it. <laughs> I couldn't either. <laughs>
2: and uh, I I I plugged it. I went to play it. I was like, it's not muddy, like it's not lacking clarity, but there is just a lot of bass. Um, you know, like, I've,
1: I've been messing with that lately. Uh, I'm actually working on a new pickup model. Uh, I'm not going to say who it's for right now. If we if we come to an agreement, I'll put that out publicly, but uh, it's for an artist. And I've been working on trying to figure out his sound. And he's he wants a really warm sound so where i actually started was those same black nickel slugs that you got Ah. and i i actually wound up because i didn't quite get what i was looking for on that i went to the same set screw pole pieces that we discussed so uh chris when when he told me they were they were muddy on the the slug pole pieces or not muddy, but boomy, I think, is more. Yeah, better yeah, descriptor. boomy would be more accurate. Uh, we decided well, change them out for set screws, and that actually did fix the problem, and that's what I wound up doing on this set. Um, but I'm doing something different on this set because he wants something really warm that gets rid of the kind of pick-scrape noise you get when you play.
0: Okay.
1: And you can't get rid of all of that and still keep, like, pinch harmonics on certain, like, high strings. Right. So it's it's kind of a balancing act. But what I came up with was using capacitors wired in parallel with each coil. So you still get the same fundamental warm tone, but you lose a little bit of that high-end treble that gives you that pick scrape noise.
0: So it's almost like a inverse treble bleed. Like,
1: Almost. Into- it's like it. Well, I was thinking of it like the, the tone knob. Yeah. When you when you it, when you uh, activate that tone knob, it does it to the whole signal. Um On this set, I actually use two two different values of capacitors, but for each bobbin. Like, uh, but it's still uh, it, it worked out pretty well. I actually shipped those off this afternoon.
0: Oh, that's exciting. To the
1: wrong address. Uh, I shipped them <laughs> to the wrong address, but. <laughs> Hopefully we figure out how to get them there, <laughs> but yes, pole pieces, pole pieces matter in most cases though. I just recommend my customers go with what they think looks best. Cause it's not as big a difference as, as most people think it is. It's not even as big of a difference as changing the type of wood that your pickup is mounted in. Sure. Now yeah, the, the, the case the, the only case I know of is Chris with the, the slugs that was a little too much but doing slugs in one in one bobbin and adjustable pole pieces in another is kind of a classic sound and that works really well as well.
2: Yep, and yeah, that t- that pretty much totally resolved the uh, the boominess issue that I was running into and it's all, it's probably also worth noting that the, I was getting that boominess on a uh, extended scale, seven string, tuned to like drop A flat, <laughs> and the, the what I was, was the body confused. wood on that? Uh, it's roasted butternut. So that was that was like a, a that's part right. Of
1: I tune. remember we talked about that. I don't know anything yeah. about roasted butternut. <laughs>
2: it's uh, and yeah, I hadn't either. That it was like my prototype seven string Genova. Um, And it turned out awesome, but the uh, from what I was told about the roasted butternut is it's supposed to have a pretty similar uh, sonic signature to like basswood, just very even, Um, you know, maybe maybe a little bit uh, better sustain and stuff like that. But um, yeah, nothing nothing too uh, notable about it.
0: So one of the one of the other questions that I that I was thinking about, like, when I – because I swapped out a ton of pickups. And mm-hmm. I cool. kind of No, you found got them.
1: clips for them all.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're all there. Um, and I, I always end up going back to certain ones, like, I'll keep around, keep handy, like, on the shelf, and I'll, like, wire them in and out. Um,
1: yeah, I, yeah, I think uh, Oil City is one of them, right?
0: City is definitely one of them. Um, yeah. the, the Trident II Hellfire is the other one. Um, and I'll switch in the SD custom every now and then as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Everyone loves the customs. Yep. I haven't heard anything bad about oil cities at all. I I really would love to try them, but I haven't gotten any yet, but you know, I've heard so much good stuff about them.
2: Yeah. Oil, oil city was my, uh, like primary pickup supplier, um, until I switched over to, uh, to Elysian. Um, but I think that the logistics of – because, like, the the way that everything happened, basically, like, uh, I was um, in touch with Ash um, at Oil Cities. Super nice dude, super responsive. And then they had to go through, like, Brexit, which kind of screwed up um, yeah. some, some stuff on his end. And then COVID happened. And then, you know, it was just, like, one thing after another. And it was just, like, dude – like <laughs> trying to trying to figure out the logistics of um, like shipping these pickups across the ocean is just like not working out. So uh, yeah, unfortunately, um, I'm not using Oil City anymore. But yeah, man, those those pickups are fantastic. Um, I'm lucky enough to have. Uh, set of his neodymium hybrid pickups um, which are still some of my favorite pickups I've ever played uh, they have neodymium magnets under just the wound strings and then Alnico Co. 5 um, under the first through third strings and yeah it's just like this perfect blend of you know kind of a, a similar objective um, I would get I would assume to the tuned aperture design where Uh, You know, it keeps the the high strings from being too harsh and the it keeps the low strings really tight, like no matter what
0: tuning you're playing in. So, though, there's one pickup company that always kind of sticks out to me because they kind of did things a bit differently. And that was the, um, you know, lace pickups, which is a company like I've always liked their their chrome domes and I have some right here um but and i've always wanted to love their other heavier or pickups tuned to heavier stuff but i never quite fell in love with them um but i always found their design interesting like you know when you look at like the alumatome or death bucket it just seemed something so so different compared to like the typical pickup.
1: oh yeah they're they're doing stuff way different uh it's not even comparable to what i'm doing at all like the I I believe they're using like sidewinder coils or something like that where the instead of a coil wrapped around your bobbin which has your pole pieces in the middle, the yeah. coil is separate from the magnet or the right. pole pieces, which is what like I, I don't even really know how they work, honestly. I've never looked into one too much. Uh, I just know they're they're doing things very different. I, I used to love the Lace Sensor Strat pickups I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I had the Lace Sensor Light Blues. Oh,
0: those are good nice. And
1: they were really cool in my Strat. Uh, they're they are really quiet. They have a really cool tone to them. Uh, I've never really been a huge fan of the Aluma tones or Death Buckers. They're not really my thing. Uh, and I do wind up making pickups to fit a lot of guitars that are equipped with those from the factory, like Strandberg's.
2: Yeah. I think I'm probably kind of on the same page as you guys where I, uh, you know, a few years ago, I was very intrigued by the, um, Illumitone deathbucker design and got a set and just, they weren't quite there for me.
1: (laughs) So I moved on. I still think it's really cool from a technology perspective that they're not doing the standard, Wire around a coil type thing, they're doing something completely different, and I really respect that about them. I I just totally, uh, it's not what I'm looking for. Yep,
0: yeah, yeah, yep. Now I look at at Fishman too. That
2: yeah, that's what I was just going to ask Adam about is uh, your thoughts on active electronics, and also kind of going back to your the experiment. Um, that you were talking about earlier with the, the different wood uh, tone tone blocks or, like, pickup caddies uh, for your test guitar, if you had a chance to try any active pickups in the plastic 3D printed caddies?
1: I don't. I do have some active pickups. Um, I don't have them in any guitar. There's kind of – they're EMGs, I think, an 81 and an 85. Uh, So they're just kind of sitting around right now. Um, I definitely wouldn't be opposed to testing that out. Uh, I would just have to spend some time changing electronics and stuff. So it's like because they require 25 kilo-ohm pots, I can't really easily swap that out in my uh, test guitar, my demo guitar, which has 500K pots.
2: Yeah, I feel like that would be an interesting test because, you know, a, a lot of people, including myself, always think of like, oh, you know, active electronics, they can make anything sound good. Um, and I feel like that would be a good test to be like, OK, but, <laughs> you know, th-
1: this they, is plastic. Can. Like, how good? can it make it sound? Well, I've been talking with a guy about possibly making an active pickup. Um I have my my tuned aperture rail, my rail pickup. Yeah, It's kind of like an X2N, but with my tuned aperture rails instead of a straight rail. And uh, I've been talking with someone about possibly doing an active pickup based on that. And their belief is that they can make a pickup sound however I want it to sound in any frequency range because they can just make the, the... pcb work that way I, I don't know a whole lot about it i just uh, i've been talking to him a little bit lately and uh within the last few weeks and just kind of brainstorming did so
2: uh, didn't Seymour duncan come
1: out with something a few years ago that
2: was like a preamp that you could add to any uh passive pickup equipped guitar and it would it like their claim was that it would turn your passive pickups into active pickups. Am I, is that right? Or am I imagining that?
0: Is that the Liberator? Oh, maybe. I can't, I can't know, remember, I know. I know what you're saying. Um, uh, I,
1: I know Nordstrand that. makes uh, active preamps for base pickups. I mean, you can turn any base pickup into an active pickup, basically, with Nordstrand right. stuff.
0: It's one thing I I remember asking on Seven String when the when Fishman first came out, and they you know everyone kind of jumped ship from all the other um, you know brands that they were using. Like Ken Susie works some sort of wizardry, and all of a sudden everyone is on the Fish Fishman bandwagon. And oh,
1: they went they went really hard with their marketing on that. Oh my god, they they really pushed it via marketing.
0: It was so well done. They, the guys, they, they're, they're oh, crazy. it
1: was masterful for real. It was masterful. They they got everyone into that. Uh, I don't have a problem with fishmans. I think they sound cool. Yeah. Um, they are really interesting minded. when you look at how they're actually made. As far as I know, their their entire coil setup is a PCB.
0: Yeah, exactly. So instead
1: of having coils, they're actually PCBs that are the coils for your pickup. And that's how they're able to do so much with it. And I just and, think and that's it's, really, it's really rad.
0: It is. And, and I, I do I, have I, a
1: friend who's.
0: About it, saying, like, why don't they just make a pickup that can tap into, can let you, you know, plug it into the computer and play around with an EQ graph to get the kind of sound you want. But then, I mean, that kind of cannibalizes their signature market, you know, if they're able to do
1: that. Yeah, exactly. From from what
2: Uh, I understand, I I may have actually heard this uh, on an old episode of The Luthierist, but I believe that's pretty much how they dial in their signature models, is like they'll have the, the artist come in, uh, to Fishman HQ, they'll play around and pretty much be able to shape the tone like in real time uh, on a computer. And they're like, "Yep, that's my sound." There, and they're like, "Okay, cool. We'll <laughs> we'll design your
1: pickups around this." I totally believe that. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I totally believe that it. it seems it seems logical. Uh, my friend Frank Falbo is actually part of the team that developed the Fluence. So, uh, that, yeah, he, he I, won't I tell th- me th- anything th- about it, of course, but.
2: Yeah, I think he's, it was a uh, episode uh, that I'm thinking of that was on the Luthier. Yeah. Luthierist.
1: <clears throat> Frank Frank is a cool guy. He he's one like, it, if there's anyone I know in this industry that's worth knowing, Frank is the guy that I would like to know. You know, I, I'm glad yeah. that I'm friends with him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I talked to him a couple times on Instagram and just commented on his work and stuff. But I mean, as I remember, he's been on kind of the the, the at The front of a lot of the pickup innovations too, like the mm-hmm. P
1: rail. Right. Yep he he came up with the P rail, and I worked with Frank on a P rail, uh, kind of P railish design at one point.
2: I remember. I'm still we still actually okay.
1: we showed it at NAMM, but nothing ever came of that. So I don't know if anything ever will, but
0: yeah. you know, I'll still buy one.
1: I, I want to do my own thing with it, so I might. Yes. <laughs> I've been thinking right. about it. It's been in my it's been in my brain recently. I just gotta gotta figure out how to do it. And of course, a lot of that is three D printed, which I use three D printing ex- extensively in my pickups. Every single pickup I ever make has at least one three D printed part in it. <coughs>
0: nice. I guess one of the uh, I guess uh, talk to me about how do you figure out what wire gauge to use for a pickup? Like 42, 43, 44. I mean, it's, I. you know, they, they'll put it in the marketing stuff. I'm like, oh, it's a 45 gauge wire. I'm like, this means nothing to me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can talk to you from, from a marketing standpoint. If you're looking at a pickup with 42, it's probably going to be more of a vintage sounding pickup, more of a PAF style pickup. Uh, if you're looking at 43... It's more like a PAF Pro. Well, it's, it's the Marzio product, obviously, but like you know, it's like it's more of like a, a hotter type PAF type sound, or a Duncan JB or something like that. Forty four is going to be most of your modern pickups. Uh, I can't even think of forty fours uh, honestly. Uh, I think the, the Marzio X two N is actually forty three, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think the Seymour Duncan Slug, which is like 30k ohms or something like that, is 44. And then stuff like the Bare Knuckle Juggernaut, I believe they use a mix of 44 and 45. 45 is not as common in pickups, it seems like. I'm not really sure why. Uh, I kind of love it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, That's what I based my Hellfire on. And the right. Trident II, Trident uh, the Trident to Hellfire hybrid, yep. is a 44 and a 45 gauge, uh, bobbin. So one of each.
0: Wow. Well, I, I mean, that puts a lot of things into perspective too. At least when I'm looking at the, the pickups, I gravitate towards. Um, it's always interesting, is Yeah, the
1: original the original PAF started at 42 gauge, so. You know, it's ten thousand wines total. So I think it was like five thousand per bobbin or something like that. I, I I could be wrong on my exact numbers, but I believe they wanted to do the same number of wines as a P ninety, but in yeah, two bobbins. So I think it's five thousand per bobbin or something like that.
0: That's
1: interesting. You know, it just kind of scales up from there uh, through the through the ages.
0: So so you know, most of these pickups were made with six strings in mind, and. Offering the pickups in you know a six string version, a seven string, and eight string version, because you're changing the shape of the bob and the number of wines you eventually put on a coil, is is it truly the same pickup? Like does it technically still sound the same, or, or are we accepting that they're kind of reminiscent of the original?
1: That's a philosophical question. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Bob. Um a lot of a lot of companies will scale their wines so that they're not the same number of wines. I don't do that. I find I, when I wind my pickups, I, I use the same number of wines whether I'm doing six, seven, or eight string. Okay. And I find that the difference in coil geometry scales properly to the number of strings. Okay, okay. So even though you're going to get a higher DC resistance, I I find that my pickups sound pretty similar throughout the range. They're not going to sound exactly the same, but it's to the point where the differences are actually what you're looking for for that number of strings. So I I don't change my recipes based on number of strings. Even going to a 10 string, I've done 10 string pickups. And I still do them exactly the same way as I do the six string. And I, I've never had anyone upset about that.
0: <laughs> that's, that's something I've always wanted to ask, like, or forget, get an answer to, or at least a discussion about. And I just never never found any sort of answer to it.
1: There, There are companies out there that they try to hit a resistance number all the time. So it's like they base their sound on the DC resistance, but that's not going to get you the same indu- inductance. It's not going to get you the same Q value. It's not going to get you the same capacitance. So yeah. I just don't even, I don't even try to do that. I don't, I don't try to match them because each of my wines is a certain number of wines and that's what it is.
0: Yeah. It's funny. It, just, it, it's, it reminds me of, uh, on, on the, on the seven string forums and on Instagram also, uh, alex or his his handle is night bro uh, oh yeah yeah yeah
1: I'm his signature
0: uh, resistance does not equal output and uh yep and i'm like that's uh people need to know this
1: yeah that's uh alex Blanik, i believe yeah. is his name i could be totally mispronouncing that but yeah uh, i've definitely sent him lots of pickups <laughs> He, he's the
0: only one that'll uh, do one review raw. Like he won't, there won't be any production or anything. It's just him, same setting, same amp, and then you can hear the differences from them. Um,
1: yeah, usually, usually it's on a YouTube video of him sitting on his bed. <laughs> 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 he's a great dude, though. He's he's really awesome guy. Yeah, he is. He really is.
0: Whenever there's a, a post on uh, some someone selling some walnut on Instagram, he'll tag me in it.
1: i was surprised actually speaking of walnut uh i was surprised how much i liked it in my my pickup demos recently oh yeah Uh, i'd say it's probably my third favorite wood Uh, honduran mahogany being my first favorite kaya mahogany being my second favorite walnut hard maple alder and I think that's where I've left off so far. I, uh, I'm really loving this Black Limba stuff, but I haven't put it through my demo guitar yet.
0: I hear it. I hear it. Well, I'm I'm excited, man. I mean, you've you've made a, a pretty impressive lineup of pickups that kind of really fits what the community is looking for. Um, I know for me, at least, I I've been playing. Once I got off my meeting this morning, um, I plugged I finally plugged in. Uh, my guitar to the amp and just let the ring on that, uh, tried into hellfire hybrid. And it's such a great pickup. Yeah. It's like,
1: one of the just, interesting uh, things on those hybrid ones is they get kind of a scooped mids quality to them. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a Demarzio blaze or something like that. But, just uh it's not something i really expected when i first did those wines but your recordings especially let me let me hear that and it works really well for like the kind of stuff you're you're doing for your clips and stuff
0: well i mean i i enjoy them and and and, i mean whenever i do it if i come up with a cool riff i'll i'll usually end up just sending you the um whatchamacallit the, the di files too if you wanted to give them out so people can run it through their rig without any excess production on it so
1: Yeah, the problem I've ever had with that is nobody knows how to do that. (laughs) So (laughs) I've always offered, you know, I've always offered to have di's available, but like nobody's ever really taken me up on it because they don't know what that really means. Oh, that's too funny. It's kind of sad, but I mean, it's not sad. It's just I wish I wish more people understood it so that more people could really hear it. But you know, you're you're also going to hear it through another guitar player's picking and. Another guitar sound, so it's never going to be exactly the same, if that makes sense.
0: No, no, it makes perfect sense.
1: I know when I pick, I I pick right in between the two pickups, and I know a lot of people who don't pick there, and they'll make my pickup sound completely different from how I play them. (laughs) You know, cool. you guys just got to play – you got to play the way I play. It's it's just the way it is, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I choked back
1: towards the place a bit more, but, uh,
0: but yeah, it's – yeah. I, I, I do enjoy what, what you've been putting out the last couple of years, man. I've seen, like, such a enormous just expansion and change and stuff, and it seems like things have been going really well, which, you know, all of us are super happy for you for. Um is there, is there anything, uh, like, like, you want to tell people uh, when they're looking into getting a pickup well, it's
1: more No, like- I, I really don't. You know, a lot of my conversations about my pickups are, you know, what are you after? What do you want to hear? Sure. So that's how I, you know, if I give a recommendation, it's based off what the customer already thinks in their head that they want. And most of the time I, I nail it. It's pretty rare that I don't. But, you know, it's happened. The, the the artist I mentioned early in the show that I'm working with right now, that one's been a little tougher to nail down. They've got a, a very specific sound, and they've been doing that sound for decades. So, uh, you, you know, you kind of got to be able to get it. Yeah. And yeah. Maybe, maybe one day we'll get there.
0: <laughs> Lots of unique challenges. That's awesome.
1: I'm always trying to challenge myself with new, with new ideas, new designs. That's what I've been doing lately. Uh, I have my new pickup model. It's called the Valkyrie. Um, I haven't launched it yet. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not really launching it right now cause it's not available for purchase on my website, but it is a model that I will build for someone if they ask me for it. But, uh, I've made several of them for people and try, I'm waiting to hear back from, from them about it and what they think about it. But, Uh, I really like it a lot. It's a weird one because it mixes not only 42 wire gauge, 42 American wire gauge, but 44 as well. So one bobbin is a 42 wire gauge. Uh, It does not have my patent, the one with the 42 wire gauge. And the other bobbin is 44 wire gauge and has my patent in it. And it gets such an interesting sound to it. It's not... Well, I guess what I've been telling people is this is the thrashiest sounding pickup I've ever made in my life. (laughs) It sounds like an old forbidden album or something, or like Pestilence or Demolition Hammer, anything like that, like old school thrash metal. But it's also really versatile because it has those two wire gauges. So if you wanted to do split tones, you can get some really interesting split tones on it. Uh, I actually have my seven string. My seven string that I built recently is set up with a five way mega switch and position two and position four use either the inside or the outside coils. And both of those positions will still mix 42 and 44 wire gauge. And it sounds really, it sounds really cool. And, you know, it's one of those things also because it's got two different wire gauges you can flip the pickup around 180 degrees, and it'll sound completely different. So you that's have multiple options for tone from one pickup.
0: That's pretty awesome. And
1: I love doing stuff like that. That's kinda that's what I'm doing with my hybrids, the Trident 2 Hellfire Hybrid, the Trident 1, Trident 2 hybrid. Those are the same concept, but they're not as stark of a difference. They're not a 42 to a 44. They're 43 to 44 or 44 to 45. So the four, the new one, the Valkyrie is. Uh, I, I'm actually super excited about it. I've been playing it on it a lot lately. Um, I take it. Um, I have it in a guitar that I take to band practice every weekend, just to, to play on it and to really feel it out. And I just love that pickup.
0: That's awesome, man.
1: Like so, I said, I'm not. I'm not trying to huff my own farts, but I love my own <laughs> pickups. <laughs> it's
0: so, a lot, man. That's good. Uh, Adam, I
2: was going to ask since you just wrapped up those two um, like complete guitar builds, w- were those more just to finish up the projects because you had the necks uh, sitting around, or are you uh, venturing back into um, more like full guitar builds rather than just pickups?
1: Yes. Sweet. <laughs> all of the above um really what it was uh i still i told you about that uh, headless build for the customer that had the nine string that i came up with my patent on uh-huh um i still need to do the frets on that i haven't done i haven't even hammered the frets in yet and i haven't done fret work in several years so i use these two guitars to get me back into doing fretwork so I could make sure I still had the chops because it's been probably five years or more since I've done fretwork.
2: Yeah, that's uh, definitely a good call. I find that whenever I have to take a hiatus from building, uh, even if it's just for a couple of months and then get back into it, I always like to – have like a personal build or a prototype or something uh, that I'm building alongside a customer's guitar, just so that I can do everything first on mine, and, you know, and make sure that like yep. uh, my the process is like still correct in my head on how everything needs to be done.
1: Yep. Thankfully, it's like riding a bicycle, and I still remember how to do fret work because yeah. both of those guitars, the frets are fantastic and i I got extremely low action on them without even touching the truss rod so i did something right (laughs) twice (laughs) yeah it's it's been a few years but i still have the exact same stumac tools that i bought in 2006 to do all that stuff nice they still work amazingly stumac stuff is like back in 2006 i thought it was expensive but considering how many miles i've gotten out of each of my tools It's not expensive. Spend the money. (laughs)
2: Like Stumac is such an interesting company to me because they, you know, they are definitely the largest um, like luthier supply company that I'm aware of. But like they are, their customer service is so good and their, their uh, tools are such high quality um, I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm surprised that the customer base is large enough to support a company that's that good. You know what I mean? Like, I know.
1: I know. it makes
2: you realize like, oh, there's a lot of guitar builders like at the very least, a lot of, a lot of people like aspiring to be guitar builders out there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, that's what keeps them in business is more and more people aspiring to be guitar builders, and totally. you know I I'm all about it. Uh, you know I used to really have a problem with that. I used to really be like, you know, oh everyone thinks they can build guitars, and you know I've been doing it for so many years, and you know they they just started, but you know it's 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 a big field, and yep. everyone can find their customers. There's seven billion people on this earth, right? And, yep, you know. There's plenty of there's plenty of people willing to spend money on guitars going around. Yeah. Um, uh, the only tools I've bought that weren't Stew Max were ones I bought more recently because I wanted to do more stainless steel stuff. And you know, back in 2006, stainless steel wasn't very common, uh, but nowadays it's much more common. So I bought the all parts and uh, nippers that everyone buys to do the the hidden. Fret ends or whatever it is. The uh. um, and then I've bought. I think it was from All Parts. Uh, their fret file that has interchangeable heads.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think, that, has- I
1: think that's an All Parts one. Maybe StuMac has one too. But the the one I bought from All Parts I've been using for a few years now.
0: At some point, I'll try the well, the the stainless I, I wouldn't gold.
1: say. I wouldn't say I've been using it, but, uh, I had it for several years now.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: which, so you said that you, um, have been using more stainless, uh, fret wire. What, like, which supplier are you getting the stainless from? Jess car okay see i don't know why um and i don't know like how large of a variance in the different alloys there can be to still be called stainless but i found the Jesscar stuff is like it completely murders my hand <laughs> to,
1: mm-hmm. uh, yep. to, that's why i switched that's why ahead. i switched my fret files uh, that was the all parts one that i told you about i actually found it on here it's called the Gurian G U R I A N fret crowning file set, and that's why I bought that set was to do more stainless because it just m- runs right through it; it has no problem with it. Um, well, for me, and, for me, the, the main step
2: that kills my hand is uh, undercutting the fret tangs. Um, and I've tried yeah. the all part, I've tried the all parts nipper, I've tried the new StuMac nipper, and it like it doesn't matter. Just that it, immediate shock. <laughs> Of closing it, I, uh, it just, like,
1: oh, it's the worst. The The saddest thing is I bought that all-parts nipper. Never used it. <laughs> it's sitting in my drawer right now. It's waiting for me to do the fret job on that 8-string I keep mentioning, uh, but I haven't <laughs> used it yet. So I will be using it on that 8-string. Um, the, the, the fret crowning file that I got, though, from all-parts is one of the best. It retails for one hundred and seven dollars, but if you're an OEM, it's half off of that, so it's worth it.
2: Ah, there you go. Um, yeah, what I've found, and this could be—I could be entirely imagining this—but I—I've uh, recently started using just the StuMac uh, Jumbo Stainless Wire, and to me, it seems. Um, you know, as, from a player's perspective, it seems to be just as uh, like durable and resilient as Jesscar, but it is easier uh, to work with um, when you're installing it into the fretboard. So that's what I've been using.
1: You know, one of my favorite fret wires is Evo fret wire. That gold oh, stuff,
2: I love it, dude. If it's if so,
1: Evo. it's easy to work. It, it's yeah. hard, so it doesn't wear out. Uh, it's just this nice middle balance between nickel fret wire and stainless.
2: Yeah. i always love that stuff.
1: I've been using that for decades.
2: Yeah. If Evo came in silver, that's all I would use. It's amazing. Oh
1: yeah, for sure. I actually have an eight string neck here that I need to finish that has Evo fret wire on it. And I, that's probably going to be the next thing I work on because the body's already finished. Uh, I just didn't get the last coats of clear coat on it. And it wound up yellowing because it's it's lacquer. So, you know, Mm. it's been probably seven eight years since I put finish on that thing. Yeah. And hey, maybe maybe yellow looks good on it. I don't know, but I got to figure (laughs) that out. But but I do need to finish the neck on it, and I'll probably uh, it's got the Evo fret wire on it, so it should be pretty pretty easy to finish.
2: Nice since we were talking about uh, just like hand tools and stuff and since you recently completed those two builds um, if there if you had a like current
0: favorite tool ooh ooh that's a good one yeah, um, ooh that's a good question yeah i think the one tool i always look forward to using is my uh, my z file oh yeah like i, I used to hate um, anything about fretwork <laughs> <laughs> until I got that cuz I got the the weird diamond file before that's kind of like swept back on both sides yeah that's what i have but the problem with that is i found that because of my own user error of course i would aggressively accidentally round over the ends of the frets uh huh and then it would pull the top of the fret inward so your your actual landing zone for your strings becomes less oh sure <clears throat> and I'm like,
2: I think, it 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 effectively like
0: beveled it at too extreme of an angle, almost. Exactly. Yeah. I. Uh, but then I when I found the Z file, I'm like, ooh, this is kind of expensive, but you know, I forgot who I talked to that. said that this is this is like all I use. But I, I start. I bought one and I used it. I was like, and it's one of those moments where you're just like, why did I bother with anything else? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Totally. <laughs> uh, I, feel, I feel that way after a lot of tool upgrades just like why Why? well it's because you don't know uh, like uh, how bad you have it <laughs> until, you, until you can experience something that's that much better
0: I, uh, I, I remember I didn't know what a planer was when I first started building a guitar so I would chisel out the thickness of a guitar blank and nice. I still have pictures of that on my blog like from when I first built a guitar body for a Warmoth neck, and it, and I look back and I'm like, what was I doing? Wait, you chiseled out the thickness of what? Of t- uh, of a body blank, like because it was too thick. Good um, lord. Yeah, it was dumb. It was dumb as shit. <laughs> like uh, I, I don't, I don't admit that. Like I'm, I'm gonna edit this part out, but I don't admit that to anyone because
1: <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs>
0: Like it's it's the dumbest thing I've ever done, uh, but I didn't. Then again, I, I didn't have any woodworking spirit, uh, experience.
2: Dude, I had it, no woodworking experience before getting into building guitars either.
1: <clears throat> oh my gosh! <laughs> so you know, on these two guitars that I've built, they both have bevels across both edges of the top.
0: Yep. Yeah. My
1: favorite my favorite tool right now is my microplane rasps.
0: Oh, I love those!
1: They are so good.
0: Do um, you have I the do attachment. Get...
1: No, but I do want to get a Shinto rasp. I just haven't bought one yet. See, yeah, I, I had, had one.
0: It. I had one before, and my it, it when I was using it to f- like sh- uh, shave off wood, it felt like nails on a chalkboard when I was using it, and maybe I was doing it wrong. Oh. But um, I w- I've been using the microplanes since I started, and one thing I oh recommend gosh, is I love them. get a hacksaw frame and get the hacksaw attachment, and it makes neck okay. carving so fast.
1: Huh. Well, I haven't had a carving neck in a while because all the necks I'm working with were CNC'd seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh. they- I, uh, I, I haven't carved a neck in a while now, but it's probably been a decade. so um, okay, so I probably I'm, I'm will in- need to at some point because I don't have a CNC large enough to build a guitar. so True. So I'm looking up the, the microplane rasp right now
2: and I think it's basically the same idea as the Stumac um, white ra- uh, razor files, I think is what they call. And that's what I have. I just have like the StuMac version of these, and yeah, I would agree. They're
1: absolutely awesome. Mine have changeable blades. I, I assume all the microplanes do, but no, this one I found it's a zester. It doesn't, so it's got a, a just a permanently attached blade. Interesting.
0: Yeah, the the, the kitchen microplane tools I have there that you can't uh, exchange like the the blades and stuff. But the one I have a handle Actually, for. You can uh, change the orientation, which is always helpful too. So you can pull or push cut, <laughs> which is nice. Um, that's what I have.
1: Um, I guess I'm looking at it right now. It's got the snap-in handle uh, with an eight-inch coarse and fine blade set. I think that's similar to what I have. But I have a I have a flat blade and a rounded blade, and that's all I really need.
2: Yeah. yeah. The yeah. These microplanes look. Pretty rad. If I if I ever have to replace my StuMax, so I'll probably just get one of these. Highly recommend. Um, I will say one tool, and just since we're on the topic of rasps, uh, one tool from StuMac that I was thoroughly disappointed in is their Dragon Rasp. Um, that it, in my experience, it's next to useless. Um, it takes off wow. like for how big it is, it takes off almost no wood. Um and then I took the time to like upgrade from that to Ario uh, rasps, thinking that it would be like a night and day difference. And for as nice as those are, they I, they still aren't as good as the Shinto rasp, <laughs> and the Shinto rasp huh. is like thirty dollars. You know, it's like it's so cheap yeah. and it works so well.
1: <clears throat> I remember seeing the Dragon rasps, and I'd never thought about like i never really got into buying one i thought they looked really cool but i've never really i, I didn't go any further than just looking at them because I, I had the microplanes.
0: i own them also the dragon wraps is the small fine one that's double beveled um and the large one but i think there was a change in quality from when i bought them to when you got them chris because you're yeah. not yep. the only one that was mentioning that they're just trash now Uh, The ones ones that I have are super aggressive Um, And I'm very happy with those Uh, But your experience has been something I've heard from a lot of people Yeah, the one I have, it's the rasp face itself is huge It's like
2: a a 12, I think it's a 12 inch rasp But the teeth are, they just aren't like big enough to really do a whole lot
1: (laughs) Yeah, they look really Um, small in the pictures Um, Yeah I did I did all the bevel carving on the two newest builds with my microplanes. I finished them up with files that I bought from Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, like actually, half of my files are just cheap Walmart files. They're they're like nothing fancy. And they do the job. That's all I need. I've got go. nice rafts and cheap files. <laughs> yep.
0: So Adam, one thing I was saying that my favorite tool that I look forward to use using initially I was gonna I was saying my Z file from Stu StuMac, which has made uh, fretwork just for me. I'm stupid with it. Um, but then I thought about it again just now and it was I, I discovered another thing that I should have used years ago, and uh, Chris, you, you heard me talking about this. It was, I changed my sandpaper from using t- traditional, like, you know, free-cut sandpaper, whatever, uh, to uh, Merka Abernett. And so, it's like, it's mesh sandpaper, and they, it even has, like, a, a hand of, like, a hook-and-loop pad that you can put onto it, and then it that attaches to a vacuum. But it has made sanding... And I say sanding because ninety percent of guitar making is sanding. It makes joy.
1: My signature on my email for my business is sander in chief. Exactly.
0: <laughs> but have you have you guys checked? Have you guys tried this? I, I was going to send some to you, Chris, and I keep on getting sidetracked. But
2: uh, uh, I I haven't tried the Abernet specifically. Uh, the only mesh sand or sanding pads that i've tried are the diablo ones that you can get from like home depot uh which i would not recommend to anybody because the red abrasive breaks off and then you have these essentially like abrasive little rocks under your pad that just scratch the ever-living shit out of whatever you're sanding Uh,
1: yeah you got to be real careful with sandpaper um there's a lot of shitty really bad sandpaper out there
2: yeah, so I, I tried that for a while, and then I got like super into everything festival this past year, and now I just use Festool Granada Sandpaper
1: <laughs> for everything. You're you're a fancy boy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a poor fancy boy that has I, a whole uh,
1: lot of stuff. I was actually surprised at the the brand I really like for sandpaper now is Indasa. I N D A S A. And it was just this cheap sandpaper that I got from my local wood, wood shop from uh, when I lived in Austin. And I've been using it for years now because it's yep. just so good. It's solid. It's really nice sandpaper. And, you know, it's nothing fancy, but it does the job. And it's not expensive. And it doesn't really gum up or anything when you uh, – when you sand on it too much, it does it does kind of smooth out like if you're using the 220 grit, it'll eventually start feeling more like 320 or 400 grit, but you know, that's that's actually fine.
2: Yeah, I found that the the Festool stuff kind of does the same thing. Um,
1: and then I don't know, I don't know what I'm using for 220 and 320 on my orbital. Whatever it is, it works really well. <laughs> It's uh, sticky back paper, so it's not the Velcro back stuff. Um, I use a six-inch orbital, uh, random orbital, for my uh, finish sanding.
0: Yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I'll have to send you guys some of this stuff since I accidentally ordered from the site, and they send you, like, 50 or 100 sheets each. Um, <laughs> and I use one for the entire build. Like, I don't really even need to change it out. So, Any, any, any other lingering questions, or do you think it's a good time to perhaps wrap up here? I, I think we can probably wrap.
1: <clears throat> we yeah. can always do a future episode.
0: <laughs> that's, yeah, we'll, uh, That's what I suspect we'll probably do. I think it's a good idea. Also, uh, Adam, Chris doesn't know anything about... I said we wanted to talk about like just get, being guitar builders in general in this small community, and then you have these people who do these crazy runs and then never fulfill... And on oh, Stevenson.org, you know, we had those threads on the, the Bernie Rico Jr. whole debacle, Decibel guitars and some of these other ones. And, I, and Chris is like, what are those? I'm like, wait, you didn't you, you don't know about those?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough, man. I, at least for Decibel, he made everyone whole in the end. I appreciate that about Darren. He is trying to sell his brand and yeah. I have talked to him about it. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, our house was too expensive to uh, repair when we moved here to Ohio. So I wasn't able to go further in talks with him. But I was definitely interested in it. I still would be. I don't think he sold it to anybody. But, yeah. you know, Decibel, he had really good intentions and it was a lot to deal with. And well, I totally, I, I get that. A
0: lot. There's a lot of pitfalls that a lot of the, the small builders end up. I guess it seems like the common theme is that they kind of get sucked into it, and then
1: I've probably been sucked into all of them. Thankfully, I've been able to work my way back out. You know, sure. it's it's a hard business to get into, and it's not one you should get into thinking you're going to become a millionaire because you're yeah. never really going to make money making guitars. That's a big part of why I got into making pickups. I, f- I found a way to actually make money at what I love doing.
0: That's incredible, man.
1: I'm not making a million dollars. I'm not saying that, but <laughs> I can at least afford to do this full time right now. Thankfully, my wife has a good, a really good paying job, and we can uh, we can take some time to see if my business actually flushes out while I'm here in Ohio. Sure. Uh, it was it was a little different before. Cause I had to have a day job and now we're at a point where I can afford not to have a day job and we'll still be able to get by. So that's what we're trying to do is, is make this thing real.
0: I, you know, we're, we're all behind you, man. And you know, we're, we're wishing you not, nothing but success. Um, But yeah, I think that'd be a really interesting you now episode to do just to be like, on the forums, like, Oh, you know, how can I make money, making, uh, making guitars and stuff. And everyone's like, don't. No, but I I think it be kind of (laughs) cool. We'll, you know, we'll have you back and see who else wants to wants to join us because it's something that everyone's kind of gone through some some bit of this or at least see the challenge. You guys should
1: have Sully on. That'd be it. yeah. I think if you guys had Sully on, he'd have a lot of a lot of things to say about that topic. He's actually been able to make it real and to to do it as his full time job, and he has his own shop, which I've been to. And you know, I've even bought I've bought tools from him when he grew out of those tools. So, right. you know, it's he's a he'd be a great in, uh, great uh, resource. I think.
0: I think that's a great idea. I still remember the picture he posted when he quit his day job. It was he took off the khakis. Yep, and...
1: the cargo pants. Yep, uh, <laughs> I remember that too. That was uh, that was the company that we worked to, together at.
0: Oh no! Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, nice. he worked there at the same time for a little while. It was a totally different department from when he took his khakis off, but it was still the same company.
0: Sure. Well, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's it. gives us a lot of good stuff to look forward to. I
1: mean, I, yeah, I have – I've really enjoyed the two episodes I think you've done already, right? Yeah. yeah. This is episode three. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed the episodes I've listened to so far. You guys are really great. Oh, nice. Thanks, man.
0: It's just a, a way for us to talk shop and – you know, be nerds together.
2: Yep. <laughs> yeah, and then we're it's... uh we're actually recording our next episode tomorrow, uh, with Sean Ash. Are you familiar with him?
1: I'm not. Uh
2: he he's not a builder, he's a guitarist. Um, but he's uh he's kind of he's not a metal dude really. He's kind of like more of a virtuoso like Ingve uh Steve Vai type guy, um, but um, a much younger dude. He's a Tom Anderson artist. Uh, so we're going to have a, a bit different uh, type of conversation with him tomorrow.
1: <clears throat> we could have had a whole different conversation about Tom Anderson pickups. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, well, next episode.
1: There you go. Yep, yep yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's, that's the way we should go. Adam, yeah. how, how can people – what's the best way people can find you and uh, – Check your stuff out.
1: Uh, mostly Instagram. Uh, I post on my Instagram pretty regularly. Uh, it's Instagram.com slash Elysian Pickups. Elysian dot pickups, sorry. Um, awesome. And the, it's the same address for Facebook as well, but I just I post on Instagram first, and then it, I allow it to cross-post to Facebook.
0: Gotcha. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Don't Fret, a Guitar Builders podcast. We hope to release episodes once or twice a month, And in the meantime, we started a thread over at sevenstring.org under the Luthery section. We'll be able to field questions and post updates there in addition to our usual social media outlets. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, let us know, and we'll see you again real soon.